do you get frustrated when you've had a really good idea about something, but you just can't convince other people of how brilliant it is? Or perhaps you're sick of trying to make changes at work, which you know would help everyone, but you just can't seem to get anybody on board. This is something I've struggled with a lot. So this week on You Are Not a Frog, I'm joined by Toby Moore, communications specialist, writer, musician and curator of the TEDx Brighton event. Toby joins us to help us figure out just how to communicate your ideas so people will listen. Toby shares some amazing insights and practical advice which will change the way you communicate forever, whether it's presenting a talk in front of thousands of people or just sharing an idea in a practice meeting. In fact, directly after I recorded this podcast, I rewrote a talk I was doing the following week, put some of Toby's tips into action and improved it massively. So have a listen to find out what people get wrong in communicating the what, why and how of an idea. Why a traditional call to action really works and a simple framework which will help you nail it every time. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high stress, high stakes jobs. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's wonderful to have with me today, Toby Moore. Now, Toby is a writer, he's a teacher, he's the curator of the TEDx Brighton event. And in a past life, you've been a marketing and communications specialist. So welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. I wanted to get Toby onto the podcast because Toby is an expert in selling stuff. Right. Now, when we talk about selling stuff, we're not talking about convincing people to buy secondhand cars. It's more about convincing people about ideas, isn't it? Selling ideas. Yeah, yeah. Taking taking what's inside that you know is compelling to you and turning that into the language, the ideas, the stories and so on that 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 can equally compel others to act as well. Yeah, for mm. sure. I thought this was really, really important for uh, my listeners because uh, particularly in healthcare at the moment, we need massive change. We need massive system change. And often when we're doing workshops, we get a lot of pushback about, oh, well, I'll never convince them of this, even though it's a really obvious thing that needs to happen. So people need to convince their peers of things. They need to sell their ideas for change to their practices and their departments. They also need to convince people that certain change are needed for the good of the staff also the patients and 
if I'm honest, in healthcare, it doesn't always work that because something's a good idea and we know it's good for the patient that it happens. And I guess the problems I've seen, I'd be really interested in a second about the problems and the issues you see when people try to sell their ideas is that we try and convince people out of logic and out of, well, it's in the patient's best interest. And sometimes when that falls flat, we get very, very puzzled. Is that similar to what you've seen in the sort of non-healthcare setting? Yes, there's the old cartoon, which is like, who wants to change? And then everyone's like, yeah, we want, we want, we want change. And then it's like, but who actually wants to change? And then like, no, everyone's like, no, no, we don't want to change. We just want change to happen for us and around us, but we don't actually want to change what we do. And I think that's ultimately where the issues come from, is that particularly this idea of change. And if you're talking to people that are not in leadership roles or in senior leadership teams or whatever change isn't their job it's somebody else's job you know there's an issue here that needs to be fixed I'm here doing my job and it's the job of the people who are uh, paid to think rather than do to make the change happen Um, so the idea of then sort of coming in and saying okay well you know now you need to work these hours or you need to use these tools or you need to Uh, communicate in this way and not that way that's what people don't want to do they don't want to be told what to do differently Uh, they want the the thing that is different to happen around them in order to enable them to do the thing that they believe they do so well and I think that's where ultimately a lot of these things fall down is that people run off to conferences and leadership retreats and blah 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 and then they rush back with all of these big ideas and they do them to people not for people because so many people in their job jobs and their work have experienced this so many times. So that's ultimately where I think a lot of this comes from. And even if change is coming from a really good place, a default position is this is being done to me because that's how it has happened so many times mm. in the past. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And people just completely hacked off and have got change fatigue and stuff. Also, what I've noticed, though, is that when change is coming from the bottom as it were, it's very then difficult to convince the people at the top that this change is needed or it's a good idea or it's going to be beneficial. And often people argue for the change with the wrong premise. They often argue the change because it's going to make us feel better because we'll be less hacked off and annoyed. And actually the people at the top actually don't really care about that. What they care about is getting the service delivered and meeting meeting their targets. So there's a complete mismatch of, of needs and expectations and it doesn't just doesn't work yeah well this I mean this immediately comes down to messaging Mm. particularly when you're coming from a position of like I'm afraid of how I'm going to convince people of this thing you immediately start jumping to the wrong elements and people ultimately want to know how something is going to happen and that's ultimately what they want and that needs to be the largest percentage of the message of the thing like you like with us and and when we see politicians going up you know in such a you know time of turmoil where like people just keep popping up on our on our phones and our screens going oh we're going to change everything and you're like I mean sure like I believe you and then they go on tv and they're like well how are you going to do this and they're like well we're still ironing out the details we're still deciding that we're not announcing any policies yet and it's just like ah you're still dealing in just sound bites and compelling ideas or whatever and like so they're trying to do this whole kind of like sell the what sell the why and like worry about how later but people ultimately want to know how things are going to happen but you do have to convince them of what and why first Um, But the majority of this message has to be how and just basic like sales training stuff is like 
there has to be a plan that people can say yes or no to. You know, so I could like come to you, Rachel, and be like, oh, I'm going to quadruple your podcast listeners and we're going to, you know, we're going to 8x your exposure. It's going to be the most fantastic thing. All I need you to do is sign here. If I just offered you those things and they were easy to do, like you'd just be like, yeah, great tones. That sounds great. But there's this bit between <laughs> convincing you of those outcomes where you're just like, yeah, but how are you going to do this? I'm like, no, no, no. We work all that out later. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it you're never going to say yes to that so you need a plan and even if that plan is just like oh well in month one we're going to implement this tool um, and then we're going to measure that and see how it goes and in month two we're going to um you know we're going to write a new plan for how we find sponsors and so on and then we're going to you know find someone to help do the outreach on that and da, da, da. so you can at least see some steps where it's just like yeah okay i get this right and um in creative practice, they call this scaffolding, so scaffolding the risk. So it's kind of like this idea of, you know, if you're doing a workshop, like a creative practice workshop, and within the next 15 minutes, you want to get people singing like operatic solos to each other. You don't start there. You know, you, you start by just going, let's just clap. And now let's just make some little notes like, you know, and just start going around. And then 15 minutes later, everyone's like, wow. You know, and they're all singing at each other, but you could never ever start people in that place. Do you know what I mean? So um, you, you have to create this, this scaffolding. The risk is what they call it in creative practice. Um, and it's the same. It's the same as selling a plan. Like it's just sort of like letting people know that the easy thing that we do first is this. The more difficult thing we do next is this. And then the very difficult thing we do later is this. That's what you would want. If I'm getting you to change the way and the times that you come into work and in the order that you see people you know over the course of the next six months whatever that's what you would want well that makes so much sense and I, I have been chuckling away to myself Timmy for for two reasons firstly I think you promised me you were going to do me a, like a new jingle for the podcast you know da, 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 frog. <laughs> I, you. I, I mean that was a, I was a couple of glasses of wine into the evening that I promised you that, but I'm pretty sure. We're still waiting, or I could just use that lovely little bit that you've just done. But secondly, I received so many emails from companies saying, we can 10x your listeners to your podcast. <laughs> just get in touch and let's let's do it. And you're right, because I read it and go, well, how? How are you going to do that? Right? How? Tell me. And there's nothing in there about how. So all those emails, it's just like delete, 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 delete. So you've, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. And that example you gave at the end, exactly. We, we've got to sort out how we see our patients and how we do it in a resilient, sustainable way. Just telling us we're going to do that does not help. If you said, right, well, we're going to start with this, then we're going to go on to do this, and then we're going to go on to do this. So mm-hmm. totally, I can totally see how that's really important. And it's really obvious but I must say it's not something that I would have thought of or I think most people working in healthcare because like we've never been taught <laughs> taught how to do this stuff. We've never been taught how to sell our ideas or or market our ideas. So you mentioned about thinking about the what and the why, and we all know the Simon Sinek start with why thing, the, mm. the, you know, and, and so it's drummed into it. You've just got to tell them the why. There's a misleading tenant within the Simon Sinek start with why thing because the start with why thing is all around you understanding what you do. Uh, okay. The premise is that if you don't understand it, then you've got fuck all chance of somebody else understanding it. So you need to get clear on your why, you know, and I do a lot of work in my teaching. I do a lot of work with like artists, musicians, that sort of thing. And like trying to get them really clear on kind of like, yeah, but why are you writing an album? Why are you doing a tour? Why are you creating this musical brand? 
And then it's like, oh, well, I just really like playing guitar, man. And it's just like, yeah, but why? And you, know, you scratch, 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 scratch. And all of a sudden you get to like the heart of this thing of just kind of like, oh, well, when I was a child, I experienced this sense of loss and then this happened and then that happened. And you're like, oh my gosh, there's a story here. Like there's a reason. And then you can like capture that. And then you're just like, oh, okay, there's that why. And if they know it, then they can put it in front of people and they can do that in subtle ways, which is just kind of like making sure that when they create like songs, music, art, like writing, branding, like all of this stuff is informed from that place of why. So then that why is always showing up authentically, whether it's like easy to spot or not. Or you can be very, very direct about it, you know, and it becomes the headline of the article. It becomes the album name. It becomes the title of the TED talk, you know, what all of this stuff, you know, but the important thing is, is that you know what it is. So that's kind of like the why bit. And, and it's more important for you to understand it than it is to, for somebody else to, not more important, but like that has to come Mm. first. And then there's the what, um, but quite typically when we're explaining things, and I think this is this one of the, one of the, again, one of the kind of misconstrudals of the of the start with why is that actually people want to know what first ultimately but it's all about proportion so what has to be over in seconds and you can come back to it later if you want to if you want to justify it but like you know if i just say oh you're gonna go through this door and see someone now because of the gangrene on your leg and obviously you want that gangrene to go away because you want to have a blissful life where you can be mobile again right so just walk through this door and see this person and you're like who's this person like what are they gonna do whereas if i just say oh there's a doctor the other side of this door that specializes <laughs> in gangrene legs so what you would really like is to go and see the doctor so that she can give you some treatment and some ideas on how to move forward with your gangrene legs. so you need that that sort of wrapping paper of what around the thing and it's the same when you when you arrive at websites for like consultants and stuff and they're like or coaches or something and they're like oh i work with individuals and and groups of collectives in order to enable the greater potential within our inner selves and unlock greater prosperity in life and you're just kind of like yeah but what do you do i'm like oh i I'm a life coach. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. But all I needed to know is that you're this person that I can book for 45 minutes to talk about this stuff and then tell me what the stuff is. So, and it's the same with these projects. This is why getting the kind of like the what bit of a, of a big change project. I remember being a, a part of, and, and this was a done to me uh, a story where I was working for a very big organization and we'd just been bought by a private equity company and they were, they had brought in one of the big four um, big consulting firms to come in and do this like you know transformation project but really what it was a cost savings project and it was called efg efficiency for growth that was the name of the project and this this company owned lots of private uh, schools uh, and it just immediately got nicknamed by all the teachers within this school as efficiency for greed and of course they came in and whoever it was, they were just kind of like looking at this thing. And then they were like, oh, yeah, oh, well, the biggest cost is teachers. So let's get rid of the teachers. And they, they ended up like within six months, they got rid of like 30% of the teaching workforce. And then six months later, they had to bring them all back in on part-time contracts because they were like, oh, yeah, we can't, we can't run schools. <laughs> Funny that, that we need the teachers, yeah. Bonkers, but you'll see it in like, you know, I'm sure you'll see it in like big projects where like NHS trusts come in and they're like, oh, we need to get rid of the consultants or the nurses or the lab technicians or something and then they're like oh what where did the people go yeah. to do all the work what you we know, need so, is more managers <laughs> yeah sorry just, just to cycle back to what i'm really talking about here is kind of like what do you call this thing hmm. like you know and and sometimes you have to call a, 
a duck a duck, right? What are you trying to do? This is the important thing. Is just like, and this is where like the snappy headlines matter. This is where language really matters because words that people can connect with and understand and don't need explaining to them and feels like their language. And this is the magic of all of this is making people, is, is, is mirroring people's thoughts and feelings back to them. You know, that's where the magic comes between like your thing and their thing, you know, because your thing is this and the language that you resonate with is this. But then how do you put that out there in the world where people look at it and be like, yeah, I get that. And that's about finding this kind of like intermediary, intermediary language where, where it feels like you and authentically you, but it also to the audience, to the listener, to the reader, it, it mirrors their thoughts, feelings, needs, et cetera, back to them. Um, and, and, you know, that particularly with internal projects, that's always missing. Mm. Oh, hundred percent. And what's going through my mind now is what do you do when the, the reason it matters to you is very different to the reason it matters to the people you're trying to sell it to. Then you can't win. So then you have to articulate the reason differently okay. or you have to make the reason valuable. There's that kind of like, well, we're not stupid. Like, don't talk to us like we're stupid kind of mentality. And like, and there's, there's a lot of truth in that because people go, oh, well, if we just say it like this, like they won't know. They yeah. won't, you know. And it's like, they know, like they know that you're measured on this and they know that this, these numbers and these things are important to directors of this and senior whatevers of that, you know, they know that stuff's important. So so it's that kind of like, okay, well, what, let's look at this like a matrix of, you know, things that are important to you, things that are important to me, things that are important to the patients, things that are important to the community is and so on. Really what it is, it's about being honest, but it's about being honest with yourself first. So then you can then mirror that honesty back to the people that you're talking to. And it's okay. It's okay for me to want something that you don't want. Like, that's okay. But just tell me that you know that, that that I know that you don't want it and that a part of doing this work is I would like to achieve this but I also recognize you know so it becomes mutual it's quite basic um well, at, you, a, at a human level yes but it it's is quite complicated at an organizational level it is basic as a human level and and we all know it like if you're trying to get a five-year-old to brush their teeth or to eat a piece of broccoli you know you're not going darling I really want you to do it because it'll make me feel better you literally you try and put it in terms that they understand that's going to make them want to do yeah. it right you don't do tell you them you ever want to eat chocolate again yes it's like well you need teeth <laughs> yes exactly you don't start lecturing them about vitamins and minerals do you? you you give them some consequences you give some outcomes you show them the transformation that will happen to them I with my son it was that Lewis Hamilton eats broccoli and Wayne Rooney eats potatoes because <laughs> he looks a bit like one and that that worked I still try and use it on him, but he's 16 and he sees through it right now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think that is something we fundamentally get wrong is when we're, particularly in healthcare, when we're trying to convince people of our our ideas, and particularly when I'm thinking about resilience and a lot of the stuff around putting boundaries in, how are we going to make this a better place to work? How are we going to make it so that we can thrive in this work? And that is good for everybody because when people don't thrive when they burn out they leave more pressure on everyone else eventually the system collapses so actually it is better for everybody but what we do is we go in sharing ideas or trying to have conversations thinking entirely about ourselves not thinking about the customer (laughs) or we don't see that person as the as the person we're trying to sell something to we're seeing we see that person as a person who is there to fix all of our woes and all of our issues I think one of the things important important model to remember when thinking about explaining and 
and bringing people on board with these ideas is you've got to hit up the marks of you know understandability believability and, and actionability like it's kind of like like and you have to kind of do it in that order because if i can't understand it i can't believe in it if i can't believe in it i can't act on it and this is where that sort of proportion of message and structure of message comes in so you have to kind of make sure that like you're giving yourself those objectives as you're finding the language finding the ideas finding the stories etc to unpack and explain this stuff are we making sure that in the first 10 percent of this message that people are going to really understand it like, and then in the next 20%, 30% of the message, they're going to believe in this Like by the time that we get to the end of this. And then at the end, it's about, like, well, are we going to give them the, the tools and the opportunities and the options and the tasks and so on and the plans, you know, in order to take an action and become a part of this? It's like there's this journey going on and, like, you're on this journey. And at some point, you need to start inviting other people on the journey, otherwise it won't work. Um, and it has to be like an invitation to to take part and to be a part and it's about convincing people of a change so you know it comes back to the challenging the norm and normalizing the challenge which is like how i always like to try and top and tail when i'm working with tedx speakers and that's all about this sort of fork in the road moment and one of the most compelling things that you can do to convince people to change is to get them to imagine what what the future looks like if they just carry on the way that they are and if you just say, okay, well, we'll just carry on seeing people like this and we'll just carry on communicating like this and we'll just carry on wasting money on this and we'll carry on not investing money in that. Where do you think that takes us? What does a year look like? What does five years look like? What does a decade look like? You know, it doesn't look good, does it? And, you know, do you want to be a part of of, 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 of moving towards a different future? Um, and again, when people just feel like something's being done to them, you know, they're getting on a bus and the bus is going down a different road to the road that they would normally want to take home. Like, that's scary. That's really scary. Whereas it's kind of like you're getting on the bus and they're like, oh, there's two buses coming and one of them takes this route round and one of them takes that route round. Which one do you want to get on? You get to choose. That's a part of making people feel like they're contributing to the thing. You know, they are looking to you for direction and vision and leadership, mm-hmm. but they also want to be a part of the design and the delivery of that Mm. they don't want to feel left out so you have to make sure that you're creating space for all of those things or both of those things i get it you'll push for time and with over 200 episodes how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. And so is it true that people fear loss more than they feel fear gain? So if you're trying to convince someone that, you know, this imagined future, it's actually almost better to start with what happens if you don't change? What happens if this carries on rather than, oh, look, well, we could be doing this, blah, blah, blah. A really powerful question is like, what is the risk of not doing this? Mm. Um, I learned that from my sort of social innovation projects days is just kind of like, you know, if we don't, do this work if we don't take this action you know what what risk are we actually creating here 
When I'm thinking about all the things that people could do in their teams or the system to make things better for the staff that work in healthcare, for doctors, for nurses, you know, a lot of it gets blocked because because of the potential tiny risk that that might not work or it might go wrong or we don't have this or this is the way we've done it and that person might get a bit peed off or whatever. And nobody ever says, well, what is the risk of not doing this? I was with a practice um, one lunchtime a few weeks ago doing a a talk about, you know, saying no, prioritising. And someone just kept coming back with, yeah, but the risk is we might get complaints. We might get this. We might get this. And there was all this yes, but yes, but yes, buts. And I said, well, what is the risk of not changing? And Mm. two of them just sat there and said, well, the risk is that everybody leaves and literally the practice goes under. I mean, that is a much, much bigger risk than a few complaints, right? They're living in the pain. This is the thing. They've mm. not made made their way through the uh, the pain wall yet and into into optional suffering. But that's um, I think that's what we are not we're not looking at. We all the, there are all these barriers to change or, or doing things differently because what if they fail? What if they make things worse? Mm. Yeah, something you you I know that you bang on all the time is about telling stories to illustrate Mm. things and to connect emotions because like I said right at the beginning I think one of the big mistakes we make is that we try and convince people with logic (laughs) logic and facts which which all have to be in there right but are most decisions made with logic and facts or not no I mean that's useful that's supporting data I mean but that's not the story um you know numbers don't tell stories people do the thing about stories is and I, I, I actually tried to avoid using the word stories where I can and try to use the word experiences instead. Um, Cause I think stories has this kind of like, you know, I can tell you a story about Paddington bear, you know, or I can tell you about an experience that I had over here, you know, and, and um, I think it's really important um, that as people like privileged professionals, that when we're trying to make changes, particularly when those changes affect the lives of people that have different lives to us, that we understand the lived experience of the person or the people or the communities that we're trying to to reach and and, and change. So this idea of lived experience, you know, is much more real than a story, you know, a story about an asylum seeker, a story about, you know, a single parent, you know, claiming universal credit, a story about, you know, a nurse in a rundown hospital or something like, you know, that's a, a thing because that the idea of a shared experience or a shared perception or something that's what creates empathy empathy creates trust trust is the fuel of change so valuing experience over stories is actually for me is the first big step and i always wondered why i felt uncomfortable with the concept of storytelling and marketing and now i know it's because it didn't value the lived experience of either the person telling the story or the person listening so that's the starting point um and um and So really understanding kind of what experiences have I got that would be useful, valuable, like offer something to the people that I'm trying to communicate with. And then where's the space in that conversation for their experience and experiences to come through as well? And then being thoughtful and strategic, but not manipulative around kind of like understanding where those points meet and then using that as an opportunity to build a relationship and build trust. So I appreciate that sounds a bit lofty, but it's important to understand, you know, to defluff that process. You know, it sounds fluffy. Uh, It sounds fluffy because it's hard to do uh, and requires great levels of emotional intelligence and strength and so on. 
I think you're absolutely right that the way to defluff it is just to talk about your own experiences because I, I, I've heard a lot about you know storytelling when presenting I've had a like with you and with other people had presentation skills workshops and it's all about tell a story tell a story tell a story and I'm like well I don't have a story about that and then I remember you said to me but yeah but you don't need to say once upon a time I was like you just need to go the other day my friend turned to me and said that is a just as much a, a storytelling but that's a, that's a lived experience yeah. as it is and I think that that really helps people just having snippets of lived experiences rather than thinking they have to be a brilliant raconteur because not everybody is right yeah and storytelling is is very different to the story and then the experience that informed the story is very different to that too so you get to choose where you come in do you mean and I think the good thing about lived experience is people can't question it people can't go no that didn't happen to you like well (laughs) it did (laughs) yeah 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 and and feelings as well for me about understanding the basics of this stuff first it really is and i'll I'll bang on about them and i'll bang on about it but if you can't get the structure of the thing right the explanation of the thing the idea the whatever it is if you're doing a talk writing a book putting a powerpoint presentation together structure you know is is the absolute essence of, of 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 being able to convey an idea successfully so you have to start there can you just say a couple more things about structure? I know we haven't got that much long left. But in two minutes, how would you suggest people structure things? For me, there's some really simple best practices here, which is, is mentioned earlier, the top and tail of challenge the norm and then normalise the challenge. So that's about understanding where you want to start and where you want to end up. So start with painting the picture of the two futures, you know, the future where you do it and the future where you don't. And that immediately creates the risk opportunity profile in front of people and and presents them with a choice and now they go okay well if I listen to this person speak for the next 20 minutes I get to understand how I make this choice and then it's understanding that what why how structure and again starting with what like name the thing create an expectation you don't need to justify anything you don't need to provide any evidence you don't need to provide data you don't need to tell stories you just say this is what this is this is what we're trying to achieve and again seeding expectations so it's like if you listen to me for the next half an hour i'm going to tell you why this is important how we're going to achieve it together if you choose to and then you get to start talking about why and that's all of your reasoning and that's unpacking the risk that's unpacking the opportunity that's talking about you know that's bringing in that element and that layer of experience and story and so on and i always like to make that you know if we want to proportion it it's like what is 20 percent? why is 30 percent? and then finally it's the how which is 50 percent you know, and that's the thing that everybody came for, but you do need to convince them that the plan is worth pursuing in the first place. So you have to get that, that what and why over the table and convince them of it first, but like then just park it and then be like, okay, well, if you all believe that carry on the way that we are, ain't going to happen, ain't going to work. It's not going to serve any of us. We need to change. This is the vision that we have for where we would like to end up. This is what we're calling it. You know, we're going to name this. We're going to call this is our destination. This is where we're heading. This is the things that we want to achieve when we're there. The reason that we want to do that is, is because, you know, our incentive is this, your incentive is this, the patient, you know, is, we needs to experience this and so on. Like these are important things. And if we don't do it, you know, X amount of people will experience this, this suffering will happen, these issues will get worse and so on. And then it's like, so how do we do this? Like it's all good and well, like we can dress this up and be sort of like this is this miracle place, but like how do we actually do it? And then it's just step one, step two, step three, step four, you know, first thing is, second thing is, third thing is, you know, show it as a map, 
draw it as a timeline, like make it a set of steps, you know, turn it into like some kind of analogy or, or whatever, make it a thing that people can be like, oh, okay, yeah. And then it starts to become like a tangible thing. It's a product, it's a brand, you know, whatever is that, that, that thing that people can leverage onto. I recently saw someone where they just re- used the word build, you know, and then it's B is be braver, U is unite. And it's just kind of like simple stuff just for people to hang around. But that's where that how stuff really is to make it, like really physical and tangible and then it comes back to the top and tail the challenge the norm normalize the challenge and it's about you know, to quote this guy dr james mannion that did this work with recently where it's just like you know how do you take the impossible and turn it into the inevitable and this is this normalizing the challenge piece it's making it feel normal and it's about making it feel achievable and getting everybody in a place of belief as you were talking I've, i was thinking would this work for really small things as well? And it, it so totally would. Yeah, it, t- it totally does. It totally does. It works for everything of every size. Just to break it down, just really simply, it's, it's challenge the norm. You know, what's wrong? What could be right? What is it? Like, name it, create an expectation of what that future could be. Why? Sell the risk, sell the opportunity. How? Sell the plan. Normalize the challenge. Make it feel real. And if you compartmentalize your thinking, your ideas, your language into those boxes... And then whatever you're doing, PowerPoint presentation, talking at a conference, putting it in a how-to guide for the staff or whatever, like always follow that structure, and making sure that things get unlocked in that sequence. Um, all of a sudden, the, the, the language starts to just come out of you. Do you know what I mean? And the experiences just start to come out of both you and them. And, you know, and the ideas flow and and people feel included and people feel like heard and so on and this is important stuff yeah yeah so funny so as you were talking I just thought you know what's a really small change that would make a big difference when in a practice it's it's literally having a coffee break <laughs> once a day to get people together and I was like oh yeah coffee so you could cut the clinic you could get out of your room you get free from your phone and get some food it's for everybody every day there you go that's how you do your coffee break and that's your plan give yourself really really tight constraints with these things start with a sentence in each one and you know, in five sentences, that's, you know, that's, that's 25 seconds worth of talking. And if you can convince someone to take a coffee break in less than half a minute's worth of talking, like the winning, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, by seeing what's not there, where the additional work is required. That's really helpful. One thing that I think people miss in all of this, well, the first thing I think they miss on, they miss the how. So coming with a with a how and often this happens in, in one-to-one coaching people are saying oh I want this and I'm trying to get them to do that I said well have you ever suggested how they could do it no no I just tell them the problem it's like well go to them with the solution and then then they might listen but the other thing is <laughs> we're really surprised when people raise objections so you get to the end of your idea and they're like oh yeah but this but that and we're like oh no they've asked me really difficult questions but one of the things if I understand this right you have to predict people's objections and, and meet them meet them early is that it is that right and how would you do that well yes and no because like understanding you know you know it's a bit like why do websites have frequently asked questions or something like it's not about guessing it is it sometimes it's about just sort of seeing what comes up and then sort of being ready to answer those things um ultimately the thing that's missing is listening Mm -hmm. because if you were to say to me hey Tobes, do you want to come on my podcast i'd be like oh no sorry i'm busy and you'll be like, oh, when are you free? You know, I can work around you. And I'm like, oh, no, sorry. Those days, uh, you know, what? you're not you're not giving, just yeah. by jumping in and trying to solve the immediate thing. And I've said I'm busy, but what I'm really saying is just kind of like, oh, do you know, 
I hate podcasts. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, you know, I think they're stupid. I, you know, I don't listen to them. I think people that, you know, all the, you listen to this podcast. Oh, God. You know, like, so really what I'm saying is that I don't think podcasts are any good or useful. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so you're solving, immediately you're solving the wrong problem. Right. And then the only way that you do that is it's questions and listening, questions and listening. Mm. So if someone says to you, oh, that sounds like a crap idea, rather than you going, it's not a crap idea. It's really, I promise you, we've thought about this. It's going, oh, why do you think it's a crap mm. idea? And then I go, oh, well, we tried that once before. And, you know, it goes, oh, so tell me a bit more about when you tried it. Like, what did you experience? And they're like, oh, well, we tried this. And then so-and-so said that. And then da 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 And you're like, oh, so, you know, when, when you did that, so-and-so people said this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, so what do you think we could do differently this time in order to stop stop them from thinking or feeling that? Do you think there's anything we could do? It's like, well, you know, if only we had this, that then then it would have happened. And it's like, oh, so so do you think if we if we found a way of making this, then, then then this might work and they're like well yeah but only if and it's like okay well well why don't we maybe the next step is trying to work out how we create the this that you've just described because that sounds brilliant you know and all of a sudden people are like, oh i feel listened to oh yeah. i actually got to the heart of the thing you know and people are very rarely actually upset or frustrated about the thing that they first say it's just question listening and like wait for someone to give you the solution and then you just repeat it back to them you know and this really boring gumpy sales bullshit you know but it, it it stems from it stems from like real human behavior and yeah if you just try and you know people know when they're being palmed off and it's frustrating it actually makes things worse rather than makes them better and you know you don't need to solve the problem there and then if you're trying to do something and it's going to take two years then you've got two years to figure it out it's interesting what you just said about them coming up with the solutions and them listening and and you listening and one of the things i've noticed that often happens is that there'll be a really good idea that will be presented but you just then leave it and the committee goes yeah well that sounds really good so we'll 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 think about that we'll talk about it next committee meeting and then we'll talk about it next committee meeting and then the person that's brought the idea thinks oh then they're not going to do anything about it or 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 they're really enthusiastic yeah they got my idea they're going to do something about it and then nothing happens and then people think it's because their idea wasn't worth it or they didn't want to do it but often people do need to know what the next steps are quite specifically is that right I mean so this is me asking you about call to actions How, how do we do that so that people actually do take action. Well, I guess it's about like promises and commitments, okay. isn't it? It's okay to, to shoot something down if you do it carefully. You know, it's just like giving people feedback. You know, you can be kind mm. with feedback. You can very kindly tell someone that their idea doesn't fit in. But it's also being very kind of like, this is why this whole start with why thing mm. to come all the way back to the beginning of our conversation is important because if something doesn't fit in within that sort of like that, that very clear vision, so being really clear on that, I think it's the Does It Make the Boat Go Faster mm-hmm. book. I think it was like the Olympian rower or something. It was just like, you know, their whole decision-making framework for everything that they did as a rowing team was, will it make the boat go faster? And that's like, should we have chicken or, or lettuce for dinner? Or should we go to the pub? Everything was just built around the Does It Make the Boat Go Faster? Mm-hmm. But if you don't know, that's a really easy one because the finish line is over there the boat is here there ain't that much in the way other than a bit of water and maybe a duck it's a very simple goal whereas some of the things that we're working with when there's lots of people involved lots of moving parts and so on is the the uh, the end visions and the finish lines and things can be much more much more complex and obscured mm-hmm. um which is why it's really important to find the right 
language and ideas and so on to explain yeah. them. But once you've got that, it's much easier to then create those swim, swim lanes of focus where you can be like, well, actually, that sounds like a great idea, but it's, it's not in focus. It doesn't enable the vision. Brilliant. I should say, there's so much in there, and I think I could do another 10 podcasts just picking your brains about this. Um, in the minute, I'm going to ask you for what your top three tips are. But in the meantime, if someone wants to learn a bit more about this and someone wants to get hold of you, or, right. or 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 learn um, learn your your process. How can they do that? And what have you got? What have you got out there that people can access? Uh, first thing is, uh, at the time of recording, I'm about to publish a book, and at the time of publishing, it should be out. It's called Make it. It's called Make it. How to work with clarity, confidence, and creativity um, by me, Toby Moore. Available on Amazon. <laughs> um, and that basically, for me, this book is a whole unpacking of all of these you know we've talked about experiences it's really looking back at my whole career's worth of experiences when it comes to a believing in your own ideas and having clarity over them but then allowing yourself to compel others to come with you on those those journeys too Um, and it's a real exploration into creative freedom as well so that should be out now at time of publishing this podcast and and it takes you through lots and lots of models and ideas all the way through from kind of like just understanding the power of your ideas through to how do you explain and articulate those ideas to how do you actually just build your career and your work around your ideas for how you want to be and how what you want to create um yeah i like it i think it's a good book i think it will be an excellent book and i want a copy but it's not out yet so i can't get one so uh, i will be first on the list we'll um put the link in the show notes there as well so uh, toby that's been so helpful what would your top three tips be for someone who wants to sell their idea to someone the first is structure so as i mentioned earlier like i really think that's the first thing to get right so tip number one is nail the structure before you start putting content into the structure number two is around clarity of language so be really, really thorough, but also ruthless with the language that mm-hmm. you're using. Mm-hmm. We talked about earlier around this idea of it, like it has to be authentically your language, but then it also has to be language that people feel like is, is, is their life mirrored back to them. So it's mm-hmm. about finding those, those words and those meanings that create that connection between you and them in an authentic way. And number three, what is number three? That's the hardest one. I think it's, uh, you mentioned call to actions earlier, and I think a much more valuable uh, tool is a call to conversation. I guess to be really blunt about it, the tip three would be to replace your calls to action with calls to conversation. Love it. And that sort of leans into that stuff we were saying earlier about, you know, when someone says, oh, but this doesn't work. Like, don't see that as a kind of like, oh, what's the quickest route to getting them on board? It's about kind of like, okay, well, what conversation needs to happen here in order to make that person feel heard? Um, and to take it all the way back to the sort of sales sales training type stuff, it's about waiting for someone to tell you what they want and then being like, oh, okay, well, if I gave you this thing that you want, would you say yes? And then they go, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than going, you want this thing, right? You want this thing, you want this thing because it does this, because it does that, because it does this, because it does that. Um, and that's what I call benefit bingo is you just list all of the reasons why somebody might want something and hope that you strike goals on one. Whereas actually, if you just ask enough questions, they'll tell you what they want and then you can decide whether you can offer them that thing or not. Um, so yeah, tip one structure before anything else, always get the structure. It's a bit like writing an essay or something. It's just like write the questions first and then come up with the answers. Um, number two language is, is, is really nailing your language and just really spending time on that. 
And then number three is it's calls to conversations, not calls to actions. Brilliant. So that is absolutely gold. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And will you come back another time? Because there's lots more I'd like to ask you about. Yes. With or without yes, with or without new frog jingle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my gate to entry. Yeah. Brilliant. So thank you so much and have a good rest of the day. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.